I'm Daniel Dennis-Jones, and today on Radio Berkman, how is Bitcoin changing the world? Okay, to say Bitcoin is changing the world verges a bit into hyperbole, but it's kind of true. When the first Bitcoin white paper was published seven years ago, it set forth a detailed plan to base the value and exchange of money on a peer-to-peer process instead of a centralized bank or exchange. It doesn't want to replace the dollar. It wants to improve the way the dollar works. With Bitcoin, electronic payments go directly from one person to another without passing through a financial institution. The system for knowing who owns what and who made what transactions when, that all happens thanks to this thing called a blockchain. What is a blockchain? Basically, it's a public ledger that adds a line every time a Bitcoin changes hands. It makes the system secure and transparent. Recently, Patrick Byrne, the CEO of one of the most successful e-commerce companies in the country, and one of the first major companies to accept Bitcoin, Overstock.com, took blockchain a step further. On August 5th, 2015, Byrne unveiled a blockchain-inspired system for stock trading called T0. The concept of T0 is this. Traders have made money by loaning stocks for years. At any given moment, there's about $1.7 trillion out on loan. But what's happening with that 1.7 trillion, who's borrowing, who's lending, is known only to a few folks on Wall Street. With T0, the idea is to get rid of the financial middleman altogether. Just like with Bitcoin, T0 will put the transactions online in a public ledger. This way, trades can be verified and traders can be held accountable. And the kind of short-selling practices that led to the financial crash of 2008, they can be flagged before they even become a problem. One of the Berkman Center's 2015-2016 fellows, Patrick Merck, is the executive director of the Bitcoin Foundation, which tries to explain the tech behind Bitcoin and demystify what it does. Merck recently sat down with producer Zoe Wood to talk about the potential for Bitcoin technology and the challenges it faces. I mean, I was trying to explain to someone the other day about how Bitcoin differs from actual money or from national currencies when both are abstractions at this point. Is it, would you be able to go a little bit more into how Bitcoin differs from national currencies? Yeah, I mean, it's questionable right now whether it's a currency at all. To me, when I think of Bitcoin, I think of it as the first native digital asset. So when you think about that, we can step back and you know, you try and understand the difference between a digital economy and a digitized economy. So a digitized economy is like my Bank of America checking account, right? There are supposedly, you know, little paper dollars floating around that are represented by bits in their system, right? They've digitized money. Um, Digital money is different, right? Because it's native to the blockchain. It's native to the proof of work that is creating value for it. How it relates to national currencies, You've got a different, you've got a different central bank essentially issuing it, different rules, right? Instead of having a, a single political institution that is issuing this asset and creating the rules around the market for it, you have a piece of software, an algorithm, that creates this asset and sets the rules for it, sets it in advance. That made yeah. no sense. I apologize. No, that 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 did make sense. I mean, it sounds like you have had to get really good at explaining it to people. Otherwise, it's just completely kind of inaccessible. Yeah, I think that part of the part of the learning again is just trying to bridge 
you know, where the technology is and what it can do back to something useful and practical for that person. And it's interesting for me to kind of get back to some of the bigger questions. What what does it mean to own a Bitcoin? What is a Bitcoin? There, is no, there are no coins, right? So right. what exactly do you own? What are your ownership rights? When you look at the bundle of rights and property, what, which of those attached uh, and where do they attach? This is going to be important when you think about things like how the UCC applies to Bitcoin, mm-hmm. how Bitcoin is taxed, and then, of course, who's responsible for you know transactions that fail or fraud on the network and things like mm-hmm. that. And so I suppose those bigger questions are what you're going to be working at at Berkman? Yeah, yeah, I think that's 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 some of it as far as like the research topics. Love to get into the taxonomy that people use. I think for some audiences, the idea of miners and coins and wallets can mm-hmm. be useful. But those yeah. analogies, those old analogies, I think are impeding the development of sensible policies and regulations right now. Mm-hmm. There are no wallets and there are no coins and there are no, there, no one's mining anything, right? There are people who are securing transactions. There are people who are broadcasting transactions. There are keys, there are keychains. Like, these things are harder to understand for a lay audience, but if you're going to be developing regulatory frameworks, you really need to understand how the system actually works, not just an abstraction of it. So, I mean, are there more and more people entering into this world? Is it growing? Uh, yeah, Bitcoin is growing for sure. And the idea of using uh, blockchains, that concept is a growing trend. And I think people are finding both the idea of Bitcoin as a, its own network and its own asset very intriguing. And I think people are also looking at ways that they can extend that concept either through building on top of that blockchain or creating other blockchains. And I think that's all very uh, interesting, and we're definitely in the very early, early days of this whole story. We don't know how it's going to actually play out, but it's definitely something that people are still attracted to. I still see tons of activity and, and new people and venture capital is flowing in. I mean, I know there are a lot of startups around cryptocurrency and digital currency, but is usability something that those startups are really focusing on right now, or is that less of a conscious effort? Uh, the smart ones are focusing on it right now. Okay. Um, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of noise and very little signal in the space. That's uh, very clear. Usability is a big issue, and usability comes in different contexts. Whether you're building services for other Bitcoin companies to make using the network easier, like say, you know, Chain or Gem or BitGo, um, usability is different because you know command line interface might be you know the best usability tool for other developers who are building off of those platforms. Whereas if you're blockchain, Circle, or Coinbase, you know then you're focused on a consumer market, and then you need to have those quote-unquote wallets, um, particularly mobile wallets that people can understand that look like Venmo that you know are are slick and they don't have to think about the fact that they've got all this, you know, complicated code running in the background to secure their private keys. Around the time of the hearings back in 2013, I wrote an article about them and I interviewed a few people, one of which was a student at my university who at the time was helping to run a Bitcoin hedge fund. And this person just believed that Bitcoin, and this is a quote of his, would change the world um, and for the better. And he didn't exactly explain that. Uh, We quoted him in the article because we thought it sounded really cool. 
Um, but he was just like explosively optimistic about it. And I was wondering, like, are you able to explain where you think he may have been coming from? Um, provide your own opinion on that. Maybe? <laughs> um, I don't know where he was coming from, but yeah. <laughs> I do think that uh, Bitcoin will change the world and blockchain will change the world. Again, when you think about technology, you know, the Internet or personal computers, telephony, any of these different things, they, they start off as the province of the wealthy, right? International communication, things like that. It used to be expensive. Travel used to be extremely expensive and very limited to only the wealthy who could take their European tours once, once in a lifetime, right? The technology as it grows, it, it tends to have this, this effect where it takes those things. And, and at first, it usually plays back into the kind of wealthy communities who can afford to you know, play with these things and, and have hobbies and things. But eventually it starts to trickle down. And you start seeing that things become cheaper and faster. Uh, they become more standardized. And more and more people start having access to these different services. So that now, I, you know, anybody with a smartphone can, you know, call anybody else and have an international conversation um, for free almost. Um, and if not for free. And you can see that same thing is going to happen with financial services. And again, whether it's Bitcoin or some other formulation of this technology, that's, that's where this is going. You're going to see people start creating markets and financial services and bring it to everybody. Extremely cheap, extremely open. And that, I think, will, in effect, change the world. If you can start building global institutions that are secure and transparent and trusted, and let everybody have access to it, you can see an explosion of wealth throughout the world. That's why I get up in the morning. All right, well, thank you so much. Thank you again. Yep, sure thing. Thanks, Zoe. Patrick Merck is the executive director of the Bitcoin Foundation. You can find out more about his work at the show notes for today's episode at cyber.law.harvard.edu. This episode of Radio Berkman was produced by Elizabeth Gillis, Zoe Wood, and myself, Daniel Dennis-Jones, from the Berkman Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University in Cambridge, Massachusetts.